Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we have been discussing CIC issue number 122. You can find that at the website CICministry.org. Last week, we were talking about authorial intent in Ephesians. I'm going to open us with a quote from that section of the article. If you're following along on the PDF, we're on page three. I will share that quote, and then we're going to talk about being Christ's inheritance. So here's the quote from the article. Paul wrote to comfort his readers that they were secure in Christ and to exhort them to stand. They have the gospel, the mystery religions, and their shamans have nothing to offer. Amen. Yesterday, you just finished preaching through Ephesians. I did. We learned a lot. We sure did. And so, so we're picking back up in Ephesians now with a translation issue. Yes. We want to look at something in Ephesians 1. Now, last time we were talking about how the people in Ephesus feared bad fate coming from the gods like Artemis and others. Okay. And so we covered that. And we also talked about Paul's intent to tell the Ephesian Christians that they were safe. Both Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ are safe. Now, one of the things that would convince them that they are safe is the idea that the church is actually Christ's inheritance given to him by the Father, and therefore we are God's lot or his portion, and God's not about, about to lose us to some inferior deities. Amen. So that's a very profound thing, and it's clearly lost on the purveyors of spiritual warfare doctrine. I have never heard them even talk about this. No, I sure haven't. No, they don't even bring it up, because if we actually believed what Ephesians 1 says, they'd be out of business because we wouldn't need them. All right. Okay, so let's just look at this. Uh, I point out that there's a translation issue. So, listeners, if you want to turn to Ephesians 1.11, we're going to focus on that. Okay? All right. And so, in my article, I used the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So, let me quote that. Ephesians 1.11. In him, we are also made his inheritance, predestined, according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will, Ephesians 1.11, Holman Christian Standard Bible. Now, the New American Standard and others say we have an inheritance. but That's a pretty a, big difference. It's a huge difference, okay? It's a huge difference. And what we want to point out is that we need to find out what the Greek means and what's the correct translation, and the context helps us, and so does the grammar itself. And then we'll look at the Old Testament to see why this makes all the sense in the world that we, as God's people, would be 
the inheritance that he gives to the son. So that's what we're going to do. Now, I've also looked here now, after writing this about eight or nine years ago, there's another translation that I could have cited that's very good too, besides the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So let me cite the Net Bible. A lot of people have that one or have access to it. Ephesians 1.11 in the Net Bible. Let me cite that. In Christ too, we have been claimed as God's own possession since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. The Net Bible translation. So here it says we're God's possession. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translated it as we are made his inheritance. And both translations are good. I think the New American Standard misses it because, yes, it's true, we do have an inheritance. Every Christian has an inheritance as part of uh, the kingdom of God, the family of God, and all the eternal promises. But this is saying more than that. And I think something really important and really profound that we need to get right. The point is that in the Old Testament, in Psalm 2, God promised the son an inheritance. Yes. And I believe that this passage is an allusion to that. And I'll cite that. I did it in my article. Let me cite it here. Psalm 2, 7 and 8. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. So here we see in Psalm 2 that the father promised the son the nations as his inheritance. Okay. Now we know more about that as we go into the New Testament. That passage in Psalm 2, 7 and 8, at least Psalm 2, part of it, is cited twice in the New Testament. And that was in Hebrews 1, 5, and then also in Acts 13, 33. So this would indicate, and this is a, a, a theme in, in Ephesians, that both Jews and Gentiles would be a part of the family of God, saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, and part of that inheritance that was a promise to the Son. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. So then Ephesians 1.11 I like the net. Uh, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. Right. And that's reminding God doesn't lose his possession. Right. God is able to hang on to his own possessions. Yes. And so, dear listeners, if you believe in Jesus Christ and have trusted the gospel and are clinging to him by his power and grace is hanging on to you, you're safe. And the pagan deities can no longer uh, claim anything over you. You belong okay. to Christ. Okay? And so there are many followers of various deities and demons. We're not disputing the existence of them. But we're saved. The whole point is that we're saved. 
And now the deliverance teachers who are teaching false doctrine claim, well, you're sort of safe if you get it right. Oh, no, that's not very comforting. Well, there's no comfort in them because we might get it wrong. And what happens is they attribute to uh, various symptoms that people might have to demons. And then suggest that being a Christian doesn't actually make you safe from the demons. You have to go through a process of applying and appropriating various techniques, incantations. They don't call them that. They call them confessions or sayings or declarations or whatever they want to call it. And breaking curses and casting out the demons or taking away territory and all of this. But that's not what Paul taught us in Ephesians. No. So he says, you are God's possession. Yes. Now let and me our circumstances in our life can't change that. No, no, not at all. Because we still live in a fallen world. And God is using all things uh, to bring us ultimately to glory. All things is mentioned also in Ephesians. It's an important idea. Now let's look at some Old Testament material. I looked up some uh, from the Greek Old Testament, uh, so the very word used here in Ephesians 1.11 to prove that the net translation or the Holman Christian Standard translation are actually correct. And we can find that from the Old Testament where the same idea is cited in regard to God having a people that are his possession. Okay. Okay. One place where we get that is in Deuteronomy 9 and verse 29. Deuteronomy 9 and verse 29. And I'll just cite that from the New American Standard Bible. Yet they are your people, even your inheritance, whom you have brought out by your great power and outstretched arm. Talking about Israel having been delivered from Egypt. Okay. They weren't under the gods of the Egyptians who had been defeated at the Passover. Right. They were brought out from that and brought to Yahweh, and they are called his inheritance. Yes. Okay. Well, that particular uh, verse in the Greek translation of it, the Septuagint, uses the word kleros. Kleros means share allotment or portion, share allotment okay. or portion. And uh, the noun form of that and the verb form of that are talking about the same thing. And so therefore the, the passage that we have in Ephesians 1.11 would be an allusion to that sort of passage. There's another one that's even more important. And this okay. is a use of the same Greek we find Ephesians, and this is in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 9. And that's Deuteronomy 32 and verse 9. It says this, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. Now what we have here is a synonymous parallelism, very common in the Hebrew Old Testament. Synonymous parallelism. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. The context was in Deuteronomy 32.8, 
again, another translation issue, but in the Septuagint, the nations are put under the sons of God. Right. Okay. So the nations are under these other deities. Okay. God preserved a people for his own inheritance. And that was to be Israel. And what we're learning in Ephesians is that this mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians is that now Jews and Gentiles together who believe in Christ are God's inheritance his, that he gave to his son. They're his allotment or his portion. Okay. And that's using the same words that in a similar context that you find in the Old Testament. In Ephesians 1.11, in the Greek, it says, um, we were appointed or made God's lot. And it says, using the word klerao. Klerao is the verb form of the noun kleros, which is in the Old Testament. So okay. there is clearly an allusion to this. And I'm not the only one who's seen this. I know a lot of people haven't maybe heard about this before, or maybe they just read a version of the New Testament that didn't catch that, the idea of the church being the inheritance that the father gave to the son. Isn't right. A, I don't think that's a common idea. People just don't, don't think, think that they, way. They know. And so that's our job to let you know, because it's actually there in the scripture. Okay. That's amazingly comforting. It sure is. If there's any being in the universe that's able to hang on to his own inheritance, I think it's God. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, so in my article where I talk about this, we're on page three of the PDF of it, I actually cite F.F. Bruce. He's a goes back a few decades. He kept writing until he was in his 90s. But he had a really good insight here in his commentary on Ephesians, F.F. Bruce. And so let me just share part of that. There's a longer quote in my article, but let me quote F.F. Bruce, third column here, page three. But we are dealing with a passive form of the verb, which means a point by law. That's that verb, clerao, I just mentioned. And it's okay. in the passive. And here it's a divine passive. So back to Bruce, a passive form of the verb, which means a point by lot, a lot, a sign. In the passive sense should be brought out unless there's good reason to the contrary, says Bruce. The reason for the rendering, we are claimed by God as his portion, rather than we were assigned our portion, is that in keeping with the Old Testament precedent in the Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. Now, let me just say, that's what I was just referring to, okay? Back to Bruce. The nations of the world are assigned to various angelic beings, the sons of God. But Yahweh retains Israel as his personal possession. And then he quotes this, for the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. 
continuing with F.F. Bruce. So here, believers in Christ are God's chosen people claimed by him as his portion or heritage. All right. So I think it's very interesting that Bruce, writing some time before some of the more recent scholars have written about this, and others see this, he got it right and he saw that. So why is that important to the Ephesians to whom Paul was writing? Because their biggest issue, and this was both the Jews and the Gentiles, as we pointed out, they had this fear of being cursed or being under bad fate or being harmed by the hostile spiritual powers. Okay. And what they needed to be comforted was not a technology of interacting with the hostile powers in order to extricate themselves from them or force the powers to do what they tell the powers to go do. That's not what they needed. They needed to know that they're not under those powers. They're in Christ and they are God's portion. Right. Or God's own possession. That is the correct translation. It fits the context. It fits the Old Testament context and illusion. And I think this is not exactly what Bruce referred to, but I do think that there's a, an allusion to Psalm 2 where God promised the nations to the Son as his portion or inheritance. Right. You say, and again, this is in CIC issue 122, Paul's intent in Ephesians is to assure the saints that God has delivered them from the hostile powers that are assigned over the pagans and made them his own inheritance. God the Father promised God the Son that he would give him the nations as his inheritance. The Son is not about to lose his inheritance to the principalities and powers evil spiritual forces that are assigned to the pagans. We are safe. Amen. Amen. When I preached through Ephesians, which I just finally finished, and next Sunday I'm going to do a review where I cover the key passages that we learned in Ephesians that help define the church. Okay. So I hope that goes well Sunday when I preach that. I got the PowerPoint already laid out. And it's very enlightening to see how God defines the church in Ephesians. And right. we find out, by the way, that the church as defined in church history is much different than the church how, how it's defined in the New Testament. It sure is. And I'm going to claim that we need to go back to Scripture alone and find our definition of the church and not allow church history, which is part of providence, which contains good and evil and has to be judged in light of scripture, we cannot allow church history to define the church. Okay. Scripture alone must. And so that's going to be a claim. And I'll be talking about that a lot going forward. So we belong to Christ. Now, I don't think that itself is a surprise to most Christians. Right. He's the head, we are the body right? He's the yes. cornerstone. The church is built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone. 
his apostles and prophets as the completion of the foundation. And we've been placed in that by God's sovereign action, but he does it through means, the means being the gospel preached, faith, we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. What's the gift of God? Grace, faith, what? Well, it's all a gift of God. Yes. The grammar would indicate that the gift of God is salvation by grace through faith. Amen. Okay? So he uses means. But having believed, now we need to be assured. And so the point of this series that we're doing is to correct all of this error. How can it be? I mean, the errors cover a lot of different things. And okay. Ephesians goes a long way to correct that. If you look, for instance, back to Ephesians 1 and verse 3, it says that he's blessed us. Okay. Yes. Jessica, do you have a Bible there? Ready? I sure do. Could you look up Ephesians 1, 3? Yep. And I'll be talking about that while you're looking it up. A lot of people are trying to claim that Christians are cursed. We've looked at, we've shown you some books from various teachers. Here's another one, same guy, this uh, Bob Larson that we've shown you some pictures of his books and things. Here's another one. See that? Okay. It says curse breaking. Okay. So here's a book. Now, this is another failure to know what the gospel's about and what the promises of God are. Because yes. Bob Larson says you need the demons cast out, and he also says you need the curses broken. But All right. let's ask a bigger question. Are Christians blessed because they are in Christ, or are they like the pagans under various curses that they have to discover what they are and what the causes are. So could you, Jessica, read Ephesians 1 and verse 3. All right, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He's blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Yes. But why is he saying that? Is that so that we have some nice flowery language in the Bible? No, he's, he's doing that for a reason. The heavenly places is the very thing that was scaring the Ephesians. Right. Because they were correct in knowing that in the heavenlies, there are a lot of hostile powers. Yeah. That comes up later in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God, which is what this article is about. The mm -hmm. armor of God being the gospel. They yes. were concern about rulers and principalities and powers in the heavenlies. Okay. So maybe curses are raining down on us as Christians from these heavenlies. Who knows? We can't see it. The pagans all think that, and they have curse breakers and amulets and incantations and shamans and what we call witch doctors or gurus or whatever nowadays. Maybe that's what we need. No. If what Jessica just read says, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing and done so in the heavenly places. There's nothing, there's no being up there in the heavenlies that are going to be able to rain down curses on Christians. Right. 
You know, that just reading that too reminded me of John 10. Go ahead. Um, John 10, 28. This is Jesus speaking. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Right. Nobody, not the spiritual beings. Not, nobody, nothing can snatch us. Once we're safe in Christ's hand, he's not going to let us go. That's, that's the point. Yes, you're right. And I'll tell you what happens. So I, I have been debating this for decades now. Okay. And people aren't very prone to want to give up their processes of casting out demons and breaking curses. Okay. And I found out why. We've talked about this before. They're afraid that just believing the promises of God won't work. Right. And the reason they're afraid of that, about that, is that these teachers, and I believe they're false teachers, are telling them, well, that's true, that Christ has provided all these blessings, but if you don't do things right, or if you have any sin in your life, then you're going to bring the curse down on yourself. Okay. okay. And they, rather than using how the New Testament interprets the Old Testament, they go back to the Old Testament and go back to the blessings and cursings that are laid out like in Deuteronomy 28 and elsewhere. Okay. And they list out all the things that are called curses. And then they look for symptoms. And then they see symptoms that would line up with some of those curses that God warned Israel that they would experience if they went back to the pagan gods. Okay. They committed idolatry and rejected Yahweh and refused to follow the word of God that was given through Moses at Sinai. And so then they say, well, see, now look at that. And so then they start examining symptoms like a doctor would, and they find symptoms like you find in Deuteronomy that would come on Israel for apostasy and say, well, I see those symptoms here, so I must have let the curses back in. Right. Have you heard that? I Yes. And it makes it, first of all, it's really frustrating because it makes everything all about us and what we do and choices we make. And while our choices matter, it's not all about us. It's about God and what he has done and what he is doing in us and his promises. And a lot of the rest, it's just circumstances. Right. And the point is, this is relational. I say this over and over. There's hardly a week I don't send an email or speak to even someone at church. I just did this last Sunday in response to a question. It's not symptomatic. It's not geographical. It's relational. Right. If you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven and you're blessed. Even in the heavenly places. Yes. Three. And you might say, but, or what about, but, what about, what if I sin? Okay. Do you know a sinless Christian? No. I don't. What's the role of Satan according to the Bible? It's the accuser of the brethren. Yes. He accuses, he sticks to his job. Mm -hmm. Accuses day and night. 
And so if we start listening to the accuser and looking and finding sin, which is there, and we should always turn to Christ and know that the blood of Jesus is continually cleansing us from all sin, according to the Bible. And we're not saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost based on how we're doing because Jesus Christ has removed our sins and his blood was shed once for all. And we're his and he will keep us. Yes. That's what he says. But these books are telling us to look at symptoms and to see if maybe we did something that gave the devil a chance to curse us. Or it gets even worse. They say, maybe it wasn't something you did. Maybe before you bought the house that you live in now, some pagans lived there and they worshiped Satan in the house. And now you're living in a house that's cursed. Mm-hmm. I've heard that one. Yeah. In a previous episode, I shared a little bit about a house that had I had the warfare worldview, would, I would have thought was cursed. <laughs> so we have to keep going back and telling people that it's not geographical. And it's not symptomatic, it's relational. And the relationship that matters is our relationship with God through God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And what we're saying, and I hope this sinks in and comforts some people, is that the church, believers, are assigned by God the Father to the son as his inheritance. Yes. Psalm 2, 7 and 8. Ephesians 1, 11. We are his portion. And he's not going to dump us because we're not perfected yet. He sure isn't. Because if that was the case, every Christian would have been dumped a long time ago. All right. Amen. Okay, it's not, and, uh, a, it's not about human ability. None of it. No, it's not. I mean, if you make it about human ability, you're just going to pull the rug out from under many sincere Christians who are really wanting to be pleasing to God, wanting to know that they're safe, wanting to know that God is at work in their lives, and they're being fed all of these ideas that they need someone to cast the demons out of them or break the curses over them or get a revelation about some generational curse. So it may not be, it may be something according to them that you had nothing to do with, or maybe it's where you're living on the face of the earth. There's all these reasons why you could think you're cursed. And if you go by symptoms, we live in a fallen world, we're always going to be convinced we're cursed. Right. And how is that helpful to any Christian to be thinking all the time that they're cursed when God said, clearly in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That's just flat out true. Amen. We are out of time, but maybe next week, I would like to ask you about James 1, kind of 2 through 4, which really addresses, it's about our trials in life. And a lot of times, these symptoms that we're talking about, or I would say maybe circumstances in our life, they are trials. So what does James tell us to do 
And why do we have trials? That's a very good thing to point out. So let's just conclude. We are Christ's portion, allotment. We belong to God. We're safe. We're not cursed. We're blessed. We're not demonized. We're filled with the Spirit. So from there, let's answer some of these other questions. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. We want to remind you that you can access this program and years of others, as well as many articles at the website, cicministry.org. And we want to remind you to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWood. We'll see you next week.